Hello, everyone. This is Mike Lindstedt, president and co-founder of The Nehemiah Project, and you are listening to The Nehemiah Project podcast, where we replace hopelessness with hope. I'm here today with the Director of Education and Counseling at The Nehemiah Project, Mr. Chad Wiles. Chad, how are you doing today? Doing good, Mikey. Wonderful, wonderful. I'm doing good, brother. Just uh, really happy that I just won in ping pong right before we got on. You know, I'm really excited about how great I am at ping pong. Yeah. (laughs) I like to take the humble route and, you know, allow to serve others, you know. You know, when Laura Laura (laughs) listens to this, if she listens to this, she's going to realize that once we left the office, we went to go play ping pong. Well, we to be fair to us, we did try to get started. We needed to wait for our producer to do some cool things for us, and he did a great job. That's right. Shout out uh, to Tanner Stockton. Getting us set up. So we just had a few minutes to, to spare while we were waiting. That's exactly. All. Exactly. So ping pong it was. <laughs> and other than that, <laughs> I'm doing very good. Uh, I'm excited to finish up um, this uh, series that we have called What Makes Humans Human. Today, we're going to be talking about uh, the body, the that's the material portion of what makes us human. Right. We're also going to be talking about the immaterial portion that makes us human, which is referred to in the scriptures as the soul, the spirit, the heart, and the conscience. And so there's yeah. a lot of components here, but basically the division is twofold. There is the material and the portion immaterial. and the immaterial. Yeah, another way we'd refer to that um, biblically would be the inner man, outer man. Um, mm-hmm. So all those things you just talked about, soul, spirit, everything is the inner man. So we're going to look at Genesis chapter 2 uh, for this first portion here, and we're going to start off by breaking down the physical component of the human mm-hmm. constitution, which is the body. So what does Genesis 2, 7 say for us, Chad? Genesis chapter 2, verse 7 says, Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. I think right there is really cool too. I just, you know, say this before you jump in. Yeah. to what you're about to share with us. But right there in that moment, you see the relationship between spiritual and physical. Mm-hmm. God forming the body, which it's all spiritual. God does it all. And then God himself breathes the life into man. Yeah. And, you know, there, of course, it, for the, those of you who are listening and may not be aware of the fact that the Old Testament was written primarily in Hebrew and uh, also Aramaic, there's specific terms that are used here, and there's two primary terms that refer to the body in Hebrew. Uh, the first one is, is hard for me to pronounce, but I'm going to give it my best shot. It's goea, which refers to the living body. Uh, and there's also a word, basar, which refers to the flesh. And so those are the two words that the Bible in the Old Testament uses combined for over 260 times to refer to the body. Mm-hmm. And in the New Testament, we've got a couple other words that describe the body. And the New Testament is written in Greek, for those of you who aren't sure what language it was originally written in. And the, mm-hmm. the body uh, is referred to, or the word used for the body is soma. And it can refer to the physical body, uh, the whole person, mm-hmm. and the fallen carnal nature of the body. And so these words that the, the Bible uses, they, can sh- they show us that there's a link that exists between the earth and mankind. You know, they're, they're trying to put forward this idea that, A, just like the scripture says from Genesis 2-7, that the mm-hmm. Lord God formed the man of the dust of the ground. Right. That, you know, hey, we're actually built up. And you know, 
just a side note, you know, this, our culture now is so scientific and, and we think through things in biological sort of perspectives, but the Bible does kind of too, you know, it says, hey, the Lord scooped up dust from the ground, mm-hmm. right? And so we are in fact composed of elements and minerals and, right. and various things, physically speaking, mm-hmm. right? From dust we came and to dust we shall return. It also right. says in the Bible, the body will break down and it will go back to its original elements, you know? Absolutely. But there's more to it than that. And and it's kind of interesting too, from looking at the body and how the thought concerning the body has developed over time. I want to read um, from the Biblical Doctrine book, A Systematic Summary of Biblical Truth by John MacArthur and Richard Mayhew. And it's pretty interesting. They go over in this book some of the philosophical traditions that uh, that developed and what those traditions had to say about the body. Mm-hmm. And I think it'll be a good jumping off point for our discussion about what does the Bible have to say versus kind of like what is the world's perspective, you know? And so uh, I'll read directly from the book. The goodness of the body has been rejected by many in history, right? So you mm-hmm. remember in the creation story, which we've talked about in a couple of, of uh, podcasts in the series before that when God finished everything, he looked at it and what he say? It was good. It was good. That's right. And then when he finished it on the seventh day, he said it was very good. And so that includes the body, right? This was before sin entered into the picture, before chapter three in Genesis. Mm -hmm. And so the Bible says that the body is good, Mm -hmm. right? Now, this is before sin, Mm -hmm. right? But we can just kind of take that perspective into into our mind. And again, reading from the biblical doctrine book, it says that the goodness of the body has been rejected by many in history. Dualistic philosophical traditions connected with Plato convinced many that the human body, and in fact all matter, is inferior. Socrates, for instance, believed that the human body was a prison for the soul. He longed for death so that he could be released forever from his carnal frame. And Gnosticism, Gnosticism, which threatened early Christianity with its over-spiritualized and anti-material views, Eastern religions like Hinduism and Buddhism teach that the human body and material realities are illusions. And the word they use for illusions is maya. And even many in Western societies today believe that heaven or the ultimate ideal is an eternal bodiless existence. Eternal bodiless existence. Mm. So what does the Bible have to say? Let's dive a little bit deeper into Mm -hmm. this reality because... The Bible has a lot to say about the body, right? Um, its existence here in this realm, mm-hmm. meaning in time and space, and also in the eternal realm. So first, we already said that Genesis one thirty one says that God saw everything that he had made, and behold, he said it was very good. But in the New Testament, in 1 Corinthians 6.19, we learn a little bit more about the body. Now, this section that I'm about to read refers to Christians, but it says this, in 1 Corinthians 6, 19, do you not know mm-hmm. that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? Yeah. Wow. Right. Now, what, Chad, what does Romans 8, 23 say? About- Romans 8, 23 says, we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. And so there we're, we see that the body itself uh, in how God created it is not bad, but there is a need for redemption of the body because of sin. And so, um, yes, in some ways, and we'll, I'm sure we'll discuss more, you could you could make the argument that our flesh is bad because the Bible talks about our sinful flesh. 
But that's the sin nature of it, not right. not the physical nature of our bodies, how, how God has designed it. Yeah. And just thinking about the Gnostic view mm-hmm. uh, back in, in the early church's days, yeah. uh, in 1 John, for instance, the Apostle John is combating a form of Gnosticism there. And essentially Gnosticism in the early church days presented all material matter, all matter right. as inherently evil, mm-hmm. but all spiritual I guess for lack of a better word, all spiritual matter or things Mm -hmm. were inherently good. Well, this posed a giant theological problem for the early church because if that was true, then Jesus being fully man and fully God Mm -hmm. was both evil and good to the max. Right. Which Which doesn't doesn't doesn't, work. (laughs) It's a conundrum, right? Mm -hmm. So in 1 John, for example, the apostle John is laying forth very, very straightforward and black and white statements about the Christian belief, mm-hmm. about the Christian ethic. And Gnosticism really did threaten the early church. Sure. These ideas, because primarily the Greek culture of the time really cherished wisdom. And, and like in, for instance, Acts, it says mm-hmm. that when Paul was in Athens, uh, the writer Luke, who wrote the book mm-hmm. of Acts, he wrote that the Athenians did nothing with their time other than listen to new ideas. And so mm-hmm. wisdom was this thing that was idolat what's the word? Idolicized. Yeah. yeah <laughs> and wisdom was this thing that people were really wanting to hear more about. And that, that, that did sort of uh, permeate, mm-hmm. in, a, in a sense, the early church. So these ideas aren't trivial, is what I'm trying to say. Well, and that's not, a, that's not just a danger to the early church. It's a danger to the church right now. Yeah. You know, now we, we get these different views of spirituality and Christianity that have a Gnostic flavor now, these, it, it, trying to marry uh, philosophy in with, with uh, Christianity. Yeah. Um, and now we got people saying things like there is no hell and things of that nature that are just these Gnostic philosophical vibes of trying to have a higher understanding or learning. And that's seen as what's best instead of the truth of what's in God's word. Right. The simplicity of the gospel, man. Right. And so before we leave this discussion on the body, because it's pretty straightforward, you know, we're built of elements that Mm -hmm. are found in the earth, right? Uh, I think you and I and James were talking yesterday, you know, we're like 70% H2O water, right? Those are elements that are found other places. But why are our bodies or how have our bodies been affected by Adam and Eve's Mm -hmm. sin? And and can you discuss a little bit about that and the sin nature that we inherit? Yeah, well, Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death. So when Adam and Eve disobeyed God, when they were in the garden, as you read Genesis 1 and 2, everything was good, perfect, and there was no death. But when they ate of the tree, one of the things that happened because of the fall is that death entered into the world, meaning our bodies began to decay and break apart and fall apart. And in, in a lot of ways, it was actually God's grace that he allows that because if not, we would live eternally in sin apart yeah. from him. And that death was something necessary to bring it to an end in order to have eternal life. And so, you know, we can talk about that in a different podcast. But but death enters into the world. The body's falling apart, decaying, and sin corrupts us even at the the physical level. Yeah. You know, we have disease. We have... Addiction. Addiction. We have, yeah, lusts. We have, I mean, just all the things that you can read in Scripture about the flesh... 
entered into the flesh yeah. and becomes a natural um, reoccurring sinful desire within us. Mm-hmm. But like I said, even just on the physical level, things like heart disease and, you know, all those things are all a part of cancer, the breaking down of, of our bodies. Right. We're not meant to live forever anymore because right. of sin. Right. Yeah. And, and as you were talking, I was just thinking about, you know, cravings and desires and how, mm-hmm. you know, those things really, really contribute to man's sinful state, you know, and I was just thinking about the drive for mm-hmm. food, right? I mean, that's an absolutely necessary item, mm-hmm. but you can be addicted to food. You can find pleasure and escapism and sugar and, and all sorts of things, you know? Right. And what we talked about on our last podcast, even, mm-hmm. you know, uh, things like sugars and stuff like that become addictive as well. And, mm-hmm. and your the natural bacteria and things, once again, talking about things that are in, in the world that are in our bodies as yeah. well, yeah. Um, that need certain things. We're starving it and that's causing mental health issues. Yeah. You also, the sugar highs, you know, create the, a very similar pattern in the brain as cocaine and other things. Right. Huge dopamine yeah. rushes. Yeah, absolutely. And, that, and we become addicted to that. Uh-huh. And so foods that are high in fats and sugars and things like fast food and processed foods, mm-hmm. we crave. Right. But it kills us right. from the inside I think out. that's such a great analogy to sin, you know. Mm-hmm. Like when we indulge our sin, it feels good for oh, a yeah. quick second. Yeah, now there is, let me just put a caveat in there. There is a point at which when you become so deep into bondage, when like for me instance, when I was physically addicted to alcohol, yeah. drinking did not feel good anymore. Yeah. I drank so I didn't have a seizure. Mm-hmm. But for a time, sin is pleasant. Right. But it's so temporary, dude. Yeah, you know the what bondage I mean? that you feel. We got one guy in our program right now is struggling with obesity. And right. I mean, he's really facing desires to be out of it, but facing the bondage of mm-hmm. the choices of addiction to food. Yeah. You know, the the weight is one problem. Sleep, he's got sleep apnea. Moving around's hard, t- more tired easily. It's just, if, you know, I, I think I said he, he feels pinned down. Yeah. You know, that idea of like, if you're in spiritual warfare or you're in a battle mm-hmm. and gunshots are flying all around you and you're just in this hole and you don't know where to move, right. just pinned down. That's, that's, I mean, that's how he feels right yeah. now. Yeah. And, and ultimately our bodies can really, really be good lessons on sin and how just <laughs> yeah. how how much we can be in bondage to it. And we experience that bondage to sin through our bodies because our bodies fell, right? I mean, mm-hmm. God created them initially uh, sinless and because they were sinless, they were never to experience death. Mm-hmm. But then sin came into the picture and that brought a dramatic change to the human body. But again, going back to 1 Corinthians six nineteen, when you come to Christ in salvation, you come to Christ again by faith mm-hmm. because of his grace. And when that happens and you repent, you become a temple mm-hmm. of the Holy Spirit of God. Again, not giving us our eternal bodies at that point, but our bodies are then receiving the divine nature, you know? Right. And so we don't receive any health benefits from that, unfortunately. <laughs> That'd be kind of cool. But it doesn't matter because this is all temporary anyways. Absolutely. And like we're going to get to later on the podcast, everyone, whether they're saved or not, will receive a body mm-hmm. for the eternal dwelling. But we'll get into that in a second. So that's going to close up the discussion on the body. There's obviously much, much more we could say. But today we got to move and cover a lot of ground. So next, what does that second half of Genesis 2-7 say, Chad, about mm-hmm. the immaterial component of the body? You kind of already hit on it yeah. earlier. It says, um, from the ground, and uh, God formed man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, 
and the man became a living creature. Right. It says that he breathed into the man's nostrils the breath of life, mm. and the man became a living creature. That's the second half that, man, in our culture, dude, it's crazy to, for me to look out and just see how it's so easy to focus on one component or the other. And oh, people yeah. focus on the body much more than the spiritual side of things. Absolutely. It's almost as if the spiritual just becomes optional. You know what I mean? Like people mm -hmm. just want to say, well, I can add Jesus Christ to my life or I can add Buddha. You know, it's like they go they go uh, religious shopping. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's really, really insane. But right here in Genesis 2, 7, it clearly states that to be a living creature requires the breath of life that came from God himself. And I think that that's fascinating. Mm -hmm. Now, the Hebrew word for living creature is the word nefesh. This word is synonymous with being a living person, but there are also places in scripture where this word carries the narrower sense of referring you know, only to the immaterial part of the person. The other Hebrew word that is used to refer to the immaterial part of mankind is the word, I love this word, ruach. And it can be used for uh, wind, for physical breath, the spirit of God, and the life force of lower creatures. So in regards to human beings, that word ruach refers to the whole person, the vital power of life from God that animates the body, mm -hmm. the inner life, which you kind of mentioned earlier, the inner man, yeah. uh, and the intellect. It also refers to spiritual understanding, wisdom, will, emotions, and the openness of the soul to God. Yeah. Chad, why don't you go ahead and read Genesis 35, verse 18. And this is just going to illustrate the fact that the soul can be removed from the body. Yeah. And this is referring to Rachel, uh, Jacob's wife, as she's passing away. It says, And her soul was departing, for she was dying. And she called his name Benoah. I think it's how you say that. Yeah. But his father called him Benjamin. This is an example of the soul being distinguished from the body since here it leaves the body. Right. And let's just take a second to kind of distinguish the, the differences between when God said to Adam, for instance, mm -hmm. in the day that you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will die mm -hmm. versus the physical death where, you know, what you just read was an example of the separation between soul and spirit because Adam did die but he died like 900 years later. Mm -hmm. So what was God like referring to when he said, you will die when you eat of that tree, Adam? Well, um, meaning uh, a, a spiritual and a physical separation from mm -hmm. God. So he, they were cast out of the garden. Mm -hmm. They no longer had that communion with God in the spiritual sense where, they, you know, it talks about he walked with uh, God in the cool of the day and mm -hmm. was able to talk with God and know him um, intimately where Adam and Eve were put out of the garden and into the, the rest of the world that, you know, um, it was hard on Adam to raise, to grow food and eat from it. You know, the, he's going to live off the sweat of his brow. Childbirth became hard. All mm. these things happened, right? And so that um, emotional, spiritual separation from God and the physical death and separation from God that, that if one dies without being redeemed back, then they are separated from God forever for eternity mm -hmm. in a place the Bible calls hell. Yeah. We we know that there's a lot of depictions of hell and people think of like fire and all this kind of stuff. Um and a lot of that's been, you know, speculated on, but really what hell is is an eternal separation from God who is holy and perfectly good 
So the place that you go, separated from God, is a place eternally evil. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that, you know, just to talk about hell for a little bit longer, like some of the things that I've heard, you know, the Bible is using words that people will understand. Mm-hmm. So when it says, for instance, in Revelation, that the second death is talking about the second death, and in reference to that, mm-hmm. that, that Satan, his demons, and all of those whose, name, yeah. whose names were not found written in the book of life, they were thrown into the lake of fire. Right. That could be literal, or it could also tell us that it's just a place of total separation and destruction and, and pain and torment. Right. Because if we have to understand that God's mercy and goodness, there's a thing called common grace, right? right? And so everyone here in this place yes. called earth, in time and space as we get mm-hmm. to know it, experiences the goodness of God in similar ways. Regardless if if we Our acknowledge him, right? Because the Bible says that, that the rain falls on the... Evil yep. and the righteous. Right. Meaning, there, like you said, that common grace. You know, you, we don't understand the amount of evil that could be here if God's presence was fully lifted and taken away from this right. place. But that's what hell is. Yeah, it's a place where His presence does not dwell. Yeah, you're not going to get any of the goodness of God. Right. If you get anything, it's the pure wrath. Right. <laughs> so that's an eternal death. Right? right. So we're physically dying now. And once we do die, there's an eternal uh, separation. separation or eternal life, mm-hmm. depending on the redemption part of your soul. Right. And we're going to get back to how the body ties into that portion yeah. there. But before we do, what's the Greek word for soul, Chad? Um, let me get my notes here. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was up. I was still looking at it. The Greek term for soul is psyche. And it, trans- it is translated soul, life, and I. This term denotes the whole person, the essential being or seat of personal identity, the inner life of the body, the intellect, the will, the emotions, and the moral slash spiritual life. So the Greek term for soul is psyche. Psyche. Where we get psychology Psychology, from. right. Now, there's another Greek word that describes the spirit, which is also part of the immaterial body. And it's a different word, so it's worth bringing up. And that is the word pneuma. And it is similar to the Hebrew word ruach in that it refers to uh, various realities like the life force that animates the body and departs at death, like what Chad just read Mm -hmm. concerning Rachel. It also can refer to the self that interacts with God. So we can think of that as like Mm -hmm. our prayer life, right? Because in prayer, our inner self reacts with God or interacts with God. Mm -hmm. It can also refer to the interaction with God and the spiritual realm. But as far as human beings are concerned, spirit often signifies the capacity of humans to be in relationship with God. Mm -hmm. And spirit is sometimes used interchangeably with the soul. And so to kind of sum it all up, there's those two different words or those sort of divisions or components, I guess you could think of them, they're all kind of referring to the part that we can't see. I think most people would call it consciousness nowadays. Yeah. Of course, consciousness is a little bit more of a new age term. Yeah. But I think we understand what it's really getting at. It's the immaterial part right. of your being. Now, there's two other parts that we have to discuss today, and mm-hmm. these are going to be more of the focus Um, of our podcast today. And the first one is what the Bible refers to as the heart. Mm -hmm. The heart has a Hebrew word and the Hebrew word is leb or lebab, which can refer to the whole person or to the core of the inner life. The Greek word for heart is cardia, uh, where we get the transliteration in English, 
uh, cardio, right? Yeah. It refers to the, and cardia refers to the governing faculty of the person. The Bible says a lot about the heart and how it is essentially the control center of a person and the seat for thoughts, attitudes, motivations, and actions. The Bible, the biblical diagnosis of the human heart is is pretty counter to what most people assume, which is that people are inherently good. That's what most people assume, right? Right. But the Bible says that all people are born with a dark and evil heart. God's evaluation of mankind at the the global flood, right? You guys out there listening, remember Noah and the flood, Mm -hmm. which side note, every culture, every ancient culture has a flood narrative, by the way. Exactly. It, it's pretty out. It's pretty wild. The Bible says that, uh, at the global flood in Genesis six, five, that God said this about all of mankind quote, every intention of the thoughts of mankind's heart was only evil continually End quote. And God also said in Genesis eight, 21, the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. God's speaking through the prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah 17, 9 said that the heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? Right. So Chad, counselor Chad, <laughs> who deals with the heart on a daily basis. All the time. Riff on the heart for us. Well, the heart is exactly what you talked about. Uh, biblically speaking, many... Let's, I'll back up to say the world views the heart as primarily emotions. Um, so when you see movies, you know, Disney movies and follow your heart, follow your heart, it's all about how you feel, how you feel, how it's you like, feel. It's like passions almost? Yeah, passions, okay. feelings. And that's only one aspect of the heart, and it's not the part you should follow. <laughs> Don't follow your passion. <laughs> <laughs> so, right. And so it's very reductionistic in that way. And mm. that's, and honestly, just to give you a little side note, that's that's really how Satan works is he takes what God's designed and created, he takes a half-truth of God, twists it, and puts us on the wrong path pursuing ourselves, which mm. is, yes, it is true that feelings and emotions are a part of the heart, but it is not the part that we should follow or listen to. Right. But it feels good to do. Just like eating that cheeseburger feels good in that moment. Uh-huh. It feels really good to do what you feel like doing. Right. Right? Yep. But the heart, but the heart, um, biblically speaking, as Mike's already said, makes up the entire inner man. It makes up our beliefs, our thoughts, our attitudes, our feelings, our affections, our desires, our actions, our motivations, the will. You know, the the volition we call it, where it's the the motivation into action. Jesus says, I think it's in Luke sixteen, where he's talking. He says, "Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks." Yeah. So you've got that. You see the out of the overflow out of what's inside comes out, mm-hmm. right? And so those are all the aspects of the heart. When we counsel people, what we're assessing is the heart. And if you think of it this way, um, what we do, uh, for those who are familiar with psychology, is the Bible actually prescribes cognitive behavioral therapy, which is to understand what the beliefs are and begin to shape at the belief level. Well, that's what the Bible talks about. You see in Romans 12 too, renew your mind. You see in Ephesians 4, renew your mind. You constantly see throughout Scripture, renew your mind, meditate on my word, remember my promises, think, think, think. The point of change in the heart is the belief and the thoughts. The feelings, but it's all inter, interrelated. So your feelings and your actions are just the results of or the fruit of what you truly believe. The belief is what we recognize least, usually. 
we most people don't even understand what they truly believe, yeah. right? Yeah. But I can tell you what you believe by examining your feelings, your emotions, your actions, your desires, by asking good questions of why are you wanting that? What are you wanting? What are you desiring? Mm-hmm. What do you truly believe? And when you get down to it and you get to that belief level, you begin to understand, man, I'm wanting this because I'm wanting what I want in this moment, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? You know, I'll talk to married couples and I'll say, okay, what, how'd that fight start? And you really dig into it for both sides. It's like, well, I really wanted her to actually just want me and pay attention to me. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. so there's the belief. And then we go even further because I believe if she shows affection for me, then she loves me, right? And so there's that belief, things like that. Okay, mm-hmm. now we can work at that level. All right, what does the Bible say about love? You know, what does yeah, it actually yeah. say? It actually says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, body. So you shouldn't mm-hmm. need her her love for your identity and your worth. Mm-hmm. We need God's, and it's about loving and serving one another. And we can begin to reshape at the belief level. Right. We respond to belief and obedience. So the next thing that we do rightly biblically is we shape our beliefs and we act in obedience on the beliefs. And the last thing that follows usually is emotions and feelings and desires. Yeah. Right? Yeah. As we believe what's right and do what's right, deny ourselves, over time, we begin to want and desire what's right. Yeah. You know, which is exactly the opposite of how the world functions. Right. So the miracle of salvation is really that God gives you a new heart. Exactly. Because the heart is wicked. It's, it's sick. Right. Ephesians 2 would even tell us that without Christ, you actually have no no choice, no option right. to want what God wants, right. to follow God. It says, I'll read it here really quickly. Yeah, pull it up. I'll jump over to it here. Um, Ephesians chapter 2, uh, starting in verse 1, says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. You're dead in your trespasses and sins. Remember that death thing we talked about? Spiritual death. So without Christ, there is no opportunity for understanding or wisdom or wanting the things of God. Right. But it goes on to say my favorite but in Scripture is, but God, being rich in mercy, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. Right? So as we put our faith in Christ, the Bible says we get a new heart. Second Corinthians 5.17, for anyone who's in Christ, he is a new creation. Behold, the old is passing away and the new has come. Right. Um, the Holy Spirit comes in. Ephesians 1, we're sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Right. Our eyes are opened. You know, we go from mm-hmm. death to life. Yeah. And then we begin to understand, and, and it says in Ephesians 1, where it says, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose. Mm-hmm. We begin to understand God's word and right. how we were designed, why we were here, who we are. And really what gets what gets reestablished is worship. We were meant yes. to worship God yes. and be image bearers of God. That's how we were created in the garden. Mm-hmm. And so when Christ gives us that new heart, we begin to be reshaped into Christ's likeness right. and to being those image bearers again. That's wonderful, man. And I think this is, a, this is a great way to segue into the conscience because you said it, that your mind, mm-hmm. which is part of your heart, right? I mean, right. like I, 
here's a scripture that verifies that, Matthew 9, 4. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, mm-hmm. said, why do you think evil in your hearts? Right. So your heart influences your thought life, right? Like we've already established. And, Absolutely. You know, to take the perspective of the Bible as being the thoughts of God, you would be accurate if you thought that because that's what the Bible itself calls itself sometimes. For instance, mm-hmm. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Uh, this is one of my most... This is probably one of my, one of my favorite parts of Scripture because mm-hmm. it just lays this truth out so plainly, right? Now, remember, the, the context here is Greeks love wisdom, right? So mm-hmm. one of the things that we've said on this podcast explicitly, we we're talking about, I think it was Jordan Peterson and guys like that and girls like that. Yeah. Phenomenally brilliant, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, extremely smart people, right? right? But as far as understanding the will of God, right. their babies somewhere in the dark. Yeah, because of this truth right here. It says this, this is 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10. For the Holy Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. Mm-hmm. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him, mm-hmm. right? I don't know what Chad's thinking unless mm-hmm. I am Chad mm-hmm. and I have Chad's inner person. He doesn't know what I'm thinking unless he has my inner person. Mm-hmm. Back to the scripture. So also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Right. Now, we, Christians, have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. Now, this, these things, is contextually, is referring to the plan mm-hmm. that God has had prepared for those who love him. Remember, Paul is quoting Isaiah 64, 4 in this section of scripture. So that contextually is what he's referring to. It's the plan of God. And we impart this wisdom in truth or in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual, categorical statement. The natural person, the opposite of the spiritual person, does not accept the things of the spirit of God for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Mm-hmm. The spiritual person can judge all things, but is himself to be judged by no one, which simply means that if you understand the, the word of God, because you've been given the spirit of God, then you understand reality correctly. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> so no one can tell you something that you can't already under, that you don't already understand, mm-hmm. assuming you have had your mind renewed in the scriptures, because mm-hmm. you know what's going on. But the natural person doesn't know. Verse 16, for... Who has, ha- who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Now, this is fundamental or, or, or structurally important because our conscience is the other part uh, that makes up our immaterial component of what it means to be human. Now, the Bible does say that everyone, right? This is Romans 2. Everyone, whether they were a Jew or not, has a moral conscience. Mm-hmm. And whether or not you grew up, quote unquote, as a Christian or not, you have an innate ability to understand what right and wrong is. Mm-hmm. The conscience can be defined as the faculty of our moral evaluation concerning right and wrong and good and evil. The conscience is our divine mor- a moral warning system. And it gives you feedback on your thoughts and actions, letting you know whether you are doing what is right and what is wrong. Since man has been created in God's image, like we've went over in previous podcasts, all people are born with this innate knowledge, right? Mm-hmm. And, but this innate knowledge is based on God's law, which you know, if you guys don't know what God's law is, think 10 commandments, right? Yeah. One's conscience can be informed to a higher standard, which the highest standard would be found in God's word, mm-hmm. or it can be blunted and seared by sin. 
So even though we're all born sinners, we still have this like inkling of a conscience mm-hmm. that can tell us what is right and wrong. Now, look, you don't got to teach a child how to be bad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you got to teach them what is good. So right there, you begin to inform their conscience. Mm-hmm. I don't know the psychological literature well enough to understand if there's ever been any cases where a child has grown up without parents and been able to come to an understanding of what is right or wrong without that. I'm not mm-hmm. sure. But I'd be willing to bet that there would be some sort of innate ability because yeah. we're all created in man's image. Like I said, one's conscience can be informed to a higher standard or it can be blunted and seared by sin. But once the conscience has been informed of God's divine standard through the daily renewal of the mind in the scriptures, the conscience should always be followed. Right. Right. It's like the divine warning system. Yeah. That warning light of the conscience is a gift from God and it will always react to your behavior Mm -hmm. and your thought life. Assuming that the conscience is continually being renewed in the scriptures, it will always warn you before you are about to violate God's holy standard. And let me reiterate, mm-hmm. it should always be followed. I want to just read a little story just to illustrate this point in uh, the Biblical Doctrines book that I mentioned earlier. Uh, this is a, a pretty, I mean, it's kind of it's silly, but it's a, it's a really great illustrative point here. Mm-hmm. It says this, in 1984, an airline jet crashed in Spain. The recovered black box of of cockpit recorders revealed that several minutes before impact, the plane's uh, automatic warning system repeatedly told the crew, pull up, pull up. (laughs) The pilot, thinking that the system was malfunctioning, snapped shut up and switched the system off. Minutes later, the plane slammed into a mountain. Everyone on board died. Mm. This tragic story illustrates the catastrophic results of misinforming the conscience or ignoring it, ignoring its warnings. Yeah. You know, what I like to, the way I like to think of it is because of sin, our conscience is offline from the Holy Spirit, from God. Mm-hmm. Meaning like it's not being informed by God. It's not awake, right? We have residue uh, because of God's general grace and being right. created in the image of God of knowing there's some right or wrong. Right. But our sin, it's usually a prideful mentality of right and wrong based upon what's best for me or the things I think. Yeah, yeah. Whereas the the job of the Holy Spirit, once the Holy Spirit comes in at the point of salvation, it brings your conscience back online with Mm -hmm. God. And the job of the Holy Spirit is helping us to agree with and know the Word of God, to conform to the Word of God, knowing what God's Word is, educating our conscience, and constantly reshaping our inner man into the image of Christ Jesus. Yeah. That's the job of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And so that's what the Bible calls conviction. That's a fruit of the Spirit. I tell people a lot, like, man, I'm just feeling really convicted of my sin. I said, be grateful. That's that's right. actually a grace of God. Yeah, because unsaved people don't feel conviction. Exactly. Especially for things that the Bible calls sin. Right. right. And But when the Holy Spirit comes in, all of a sudden, man, when I look at pornography, I, f- I feel convicted. Right. You know? Or when I think of, in my heart with anger towards this person, I feel conviction. Right. That's the Holy Spirit saying that's not right. It's something right. that God's word says. Yeah. And that's why, like, as a Christian, when you're reading God's word, you're just it's just like, oh, that's right, that's right, yeah. that's right, yeah. that's good. Yeah, it's the Holy Spirit inside saying, Yes, yes, right. yes. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. It's true, it's true. That's so funny you say that, because I was talking to a guy um who's a Christian and we were just talking about confession, you know, mm-hmm. and, and prayer and how that is uh, a discipline um 
of the Christian life, you know, and mm-hmm. we need daily, we need a daily washing, man. I mean, it's like our minds get polluted, you know? Absolutely. And especially like if you came from maybe a background where you were indulging in things like, uh, you know, sex outside of marriage constantly or, mm-hmm. you know, pornography or, you know, drug addiction, you've seen some really, really grotesque and disgusting things right. and your mind is polluted. You know what I mean? Right. And it, your flesh the, does still want that. Yeah. And I don't, you don't know how long necessarily that, that those memories take to get out, but your brain has got a long-term storage drive in it. <laughs> well, a lot of those things never go away. Right. And so, you know, I mean, I'm sure some of you, you guys and girls out there listening can relate, but you can be sitting there, right, thinking great thoughts and having a wonderful day. And then all of a sudden, mm-hmm. like out of nowhere, seemingly, this thought pops into your head and you're like, what the heck? Yeah, this craving. Yeah, this craving or this, this you know, some, something you see triggers this thought of someone that you used to date or, or you know, or, or some place you used to go get high at or, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's just, it comes out of nowhere. Right. Well, the conscience that's been informed by the spirit of God mm-hmm. will then start going, pull up, pull up, pull up, just yeah. like in that story, you know? Yeah, don't, don't. Change your thought, change your thought because you don't want to follow that anymore. Mm-hmm. And that's, that is the conscience that has been renewed in the scriptures. Mm-hmm. That's why it's not enough to, if you just get saved and you're not being discipled, mm-hmm. no one's showing you how to read the word of God at some point, right. right? It's just not enough. Right, you're disconnected from the objective truth of God. Right. And knowing God. Right. The only way we know God is understanding his word. Yes. It'd be it, like saying somebody, you know, is like, man, I'm best friends with Mike. Yeah, but like yeah. never talk to Mike or hang out with Mike. It's like, I don't think you're friends with Mike because like, you're crazy, bro. <laughs> you don't know anything about Mike. You crazy. So the scripture that just popped up into my brain was, uh, it's found in James. It's James one twenty two. It says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. Mm-hmm. Right? So the word of God, if you just hear it and don't put it into practice, it can have a serious effect on you. But if you really want to begin to understand the depths of your sin right. and just how desperate you, you, desperately you actually need Christ, try to put the word of God into practice. I mean, it's like a mirror, man. It mm-hmm. shows you who you really are. It's like mm-hmm. Isaiah the prophet when he had a clear vision of God in Isaiah chapter 6. He said, woe is me, mm-hmm. for I am a man of unclean lips. I mean, here was a guy, as far as other people were concerned, was holy. Mm-hmm. He was a prophet. And yet he gets a clear picture of God mm-hmm. and goes, oh no, I'm yeah. un- coming undone. Right. I mean, so the word of God will inform the conscience. It's like a mirror. It will show you who you really are, mm-hmm. not what your prideful <laughs> mm-hmm. self-ego thinks you are. Right. And believe me, you're, I'm a guy who gets crushed daily in the scriptures. And that you, prideful self-ego is not just the boastful, arrogant type that says, hey, look at me, I'm awesome. It's also the one that says I'm no good. Or it says I'm not that bad. Yeah, you see what I'm it saying? Says all those things. It tries to wiggle out, you know. So it's always like, trying to elevate I'm you. Depression. I'm not very boastful. Yeah, you are. Yeah, you're still thinking a lot of yourself. Yeah, but here's the good news: is that Christ came to save sinners. Mm-hmm. So if you're a sinner and you you agree with the with the diagnosis of Scripture, mm-hmm. you have good news. Right. Yeah, <laughs> that's the beauty of it. Right. So the conscience, never ignore it. Renew it daily in the Scriptures. It will keep you on the path of life. So I know we went over a lot of information today, but just to quickly recap, the human the human constitution can be divided into two categories, physical and spiritual, or material and immaterial. Both are sacred and both 
uh, are also stained with sin mm. because of the fall. But the good news is, is that Christ came to save sinners and mm-hmm. your sin is your biggest problem, but there is an antidote for it. That's right. And so the reason why we wanted to bring these things up is because at the Nehemiah Project, we follow the scriptures. We unashamedly follow the Bible because mm-hmm. the Bible is the truth. Jesus said, Father, yeah. sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. That's right. And the Bible also says that the unfolding of God's word brings light. So it tells us the truth of reality. So that's why we follow it. It gives us the answers to life's most pressing questions. And so the human person is a, you know, it's a unified, but it's still a complex self, right? I mean, there's a lot going on and we barely scratch the surface, but I think the term just in closing, the term complex unity is probably the most accurate in trying to reconcile how the material and immaterial portions uh, that make up personhood interact with one another. Uh, This complex unity is conditional, right? Because death in a fallen world will temporarily separate one from their body. Mm -hmm. But the Bible teaches that all people, whether saved or unsaved, will eventually have a body and spirit reunited in eternal forms in the resurrection. Chad, why don't you read Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 15 to Mm -hmm. kind of finish us off here. Yeah. Revelation 20, starting in verse 11, says, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it, From his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books, according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. And what Mike's talking about there, or what Revelation's talking about here, and what Mike was saying about our conscience is, because of sin, we've talked about already, the wages of sin is death. Mm-hmm. We're separated eternally from God. And for those who reject God and never put their faith in Jesus Christ, Unfortunately, their eternal uh, life will be one of separation from God forever. Mm-hmm. But the good news is, in Romans 6.23, says the ways of sin is death, but the free gift of God mm-hmm. is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. That anyone would, who would put their faith in Christ, who, who came as fully God, fully man, lived a perfect life, and he took our full punishment and the wrath that sin deserves on the cross and defeated sin and death, through his resurrection, that anyone who would put their faith in him would be saved, restored, made new, given the Holy Spirit, sealed, adopted as sons, and would spend eternity eternity in that book of life. Their names would be written in that book of life, mm-hmm. and they'd live eternally with God. And so just want to challenge everybody listening that your spiritual is is more important even maybe than your physical, although mm-hmm. both go hand in hand. That's right. And if you haven't really contemplated or made that decision about what you believe about eternal life, let me challenge you to, to, to research it, to at least contemplate it. Because the one truth about all of us is that we all die mm-hmm. and that you need to reconcile what you believe about that. And my hope is that you put your faith in Jesus Christ and be made new. Mm-hmm. Amen. Well, guys, that finishes up our series on what makes humans human. 
We're definitely going to circle back and talk more in depth about some of these topics. But if you guys haven't listened to any of the other parts of this series, I would recommend that you go back because we really mm -hmm. do a deep dive into a whole lot. And like Chad said, we pray that you would find your hope in eternal life in Jesus Christ. We'll see you guys soon. Thanks for listening. Bye. This podcast is being sponsored by Dickie Lyons and Paul Hodge with Varsity Wealth. Varsity Wealth is a financial planning firm that believes everybody deserves to be aware of what's possible. They help clients with the basics like budgeting biblically and getting out of debt efficiently, all the way to sophisticated planning of investment management. They have clients throughout the country and would love to be a resource to you. You can contact them for a free consultation at 985 246-5857 or email them at richard.lyons at nm.com. If you're interested in sponsoring this podcast or donating to support the work of the Nehemiah Project, you can reach out to us through our website, tnproject.org or by emailing our intake director at laura at tnproject.org. Thanks for listening to the Nehemiah Project podcast. For more resources about addiction recovery, suicide prevention, and overcoming other life-controlling issues, you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram and visit our website, tnproject.org. If you or someone you love is struggling, don't hesitate to reach out to us by calling 985-205-3022.